The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. The Irish Embassy in Israel has confirmed that eight-year-old Irish Israeli girl Emily Hand is now believed to have been abducted and not murdered by Hamas during the attacks of October 7th. And that was what was originally thought. The news comes following a renewed rejection of a ceasefire from Israel. Now, joining us to talk about the latest on Gaza and Israel is Scott Lucas from the Clinton Institute at University College Dublin. Scott, good morning. Very good morning to you, Pat. Now, uh, there is a a blackout from uh, Gaza City at the moment and probably much of Gaza. Hard to know what's been going on overnight, but uh, a massive amount of of ordnance has exploded around Gaza City in the last 24 hours. So the latest, Pat, is that while some power is now being restored to parts of Gaza, you are right that this was the third major outage Um, And it was a cutoff from the Israeli side. And what that indicates is that the Israelis black out Gaza before they make a military move. Uh, They did so uh, just over a week ago when they launched a ground offensive. They did so a few days after that as they moved closer to Gaza City. And they did so again as the Israeli defense forces are saying that they have encircled Gaza City. Uh, That, I think, foreshadows the Israeli attacks into that city itself, one of the most densely populated areas on earth uh, to go after Hamas fighters and they say Hamas leaders. Uh, Whether that means that because you'll have Israeli forces inside Gaza City, there will be uh, a pause in the intensive Israeli bombing that we've seen for almost a month because, you know, why would Israeli warplanes want to kill Israeli soldiers? We'll have to wait and see. But I think Overall, I'll cut to the chase here, Pat, and that is the Israeli leadership has made its choice. Uh, It's made its choice. It's told the international community this. It said this to U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken over the weekend. We are not pulling back on any operations. Whether you call it a ceasefire or a humanitarian pause doesn't really matter. The Israeli leadership have decided they continue this until either all of Hamas's fighters leave Gaza or they have effectively, quote, depopulated the area. And of course, we know that depopulation means the killing not just of thousands, but of tens of thousands of people in the days and weeks to come. Now, the uh, Israeli spokesperson on uh, this channel uh, this morning was saying that, uh, you know, they don't want to allow Hamas a chance to rearm and regroup if there's a ceasefire. And obviously, once you have a ceasefire, very difficult to then resume hostilities, uh, perhaps. But the the net effect of what we're seeing on television, I mean, CNN were reporting of one uh, American-Palestinian family, and they interviewed uh, one of those who's living in the United States, uh, who sounds uh, American rather than Palestinian, saying 42 members of his extended family had died at the hands of the Israelis. Yeah, I mean, as an analyst, Pat, I'll tell you, this is why there is a distinction being made between a call for a ceasefire and a humanitarian pause. And the Americans, for example, think, well, if you if you just call for a humanitarian pause, uh, it's not as blunt in terms of telling the Israelis, you know, no military operations for the foreseeable future, but at least we get some type of breathing space. But we're not even going to have a humanitarian pause, except maybe a very limited one in the southern part of the Gaza Strip. We're not going to have it in the north and center of that area. And as you then pointed out, Pat, 
you know, we're talking now about almost 10,000 people who have been killed in Gaza since October 7th. The large majority of them are civilians. And you're absolutely right that we're not just talking about individual men, women, and children. We are talking about entire extended families that have been wiped out by the Israeli attacks. Uh, you mentioned 42 members of a family claimed by uh, uh, the American Palestinian person. There was a reporter for Anadolu TV, the Turkish outlet, who is positioned in Gaza, uh, who yesterday lost, well, he mourned over his four children, three sons one daughter. He mourned over the loss of all of his brothers except one. He mourned over the loss of all of his brother's children. Mm. He is mourning over his critically injured wife. That's the day-to-day reality behind the numbers. I saw uh, the report on Sky News last evening uh, showing that man who is a member of the press. He was wearing his uh, press flak jacket, which had the words press over it, and he's carrying his young child in already dead, in to say farewell to his wife who's critically injured. They followed the funeral with his permission to the burial site where the imam who was presiding over it um, just gave an extraordinary speech uh, saying that they would visit revenge upon Israel for what they had done. The man himself did not lose his dignity as he laid the collective bodies of his family in in this mass grave, but it it would move a stone to tears. It should move a stone to tears, Pat. You know, the line I would like to hear from any representative who is interviewed uh, in the media, whether it's an Israeli official, whether it's a Hamas official, the very first words out of their mouth should be, that life for all civilians is sacred, that in our religion, whether it is Islam, Judaism, Christianity, life for anyone is sacred, and the taking of life should only be done under the most extreme conditions. That should be the first words out of their mouths, but it won't be the first words out of the mouths. It wasn't the first words out of the Hamas spokesman a few days ago who went back to talking about the destruction of Israel. It wasn't the first words out of the mouth of the Israeli spokesperson I heard just an hour ago on another station who went on and on again, talking quite rightly about the Israeli civilians and foreign nationals who killed who were killed on October 7th, but said not one word about the innocent in Gaza. Not one word. I'm sorry if I'm not being an analyst now, Pat, if I'm just simply being a human being. But about a few days ago, after the mass bombing of the Jabalia refugee camp, which killed or wounded hundreds of people. And to hear the Israeli officials try to justify that, or indeed to cover up what happened, that's when I realized the window had closed. The window had closed after those terrible events, the Hamas mass killings on October 7th, to prevent further mass killing, that all the diplomacy, all the good intentions of people who've been trying to pull this back, all those people who are risking their lives on the ground, journalists, medics, activists, just people trying to get aid to their neighbors. Those lives don't matter for the leadership of Israel or Hamas. That's the cold reality we face. And it will be, I think, until finally Israel or Hamas decides to declare a token victory or they just exhaust each other. Uh, The uh, extraordinary situation where Antony Blinken is touring um, the the region uh, ending up in Turkey, but also remarkably meeting Mahmoud Abbas of Fatah uh, on the West Bank. I mean, that is an extraordinary situation 
that America, which has, of course, allied itself totally with Israel, but is trying to do what? Um, humanitarian pause, whatever it might be, and very limited success. Yeah, I mean, since the start of the conflict, Pat, not just the U.S., um, but, you know, leaders, diplomats from many countries, many European countries, uh, countries in Asia, countries in Latin America, they've been saying publicly, look, we recognize that Israel has to be able to defend itself, given what Hamas did on October 7th. They have told the Israeli government, look, we recognize that Hamas has to be isolated. Iran behind it has to be isolated. Um, but they have told the Israelis, how are you going to do that? And for weeks, um, you know, and I've been quite critical of U.S. foreign policy towards this situation in the past. I will be in the future. But for weeks, the American diplomats, British diplomats, Irish diplomats, European diplomats from many countries have been trying to tell the Israelis repeatedly, if you go in with this all-out military assault, you will not solve the situation. You will alienate international opinion. You will isolate yourself rather than Hamas, and you will kill many thousands of people for, at best, an inconclusive result. But Benjamin Netanyahu and his colleagues in the War Cabinet are no longer listening. So what Blinken is doing today, Pat, because he went from that visit in Palestine to visit the Iraqi prime minister, was to get a message across to Iran, because the Iraqi prime minister went directly from that meeting with Blinken to Tehran today to tell the Iranians, don't expand this conflict. Don't work with Hezbollah to start a second front in the war um, on the Israeli-Lebanese border. Don't uh, encourage the Houthis in Yemen to fire more missiles on Israel. Don't try to rip apart Iraq and Syria with further attacks on U.S. bases. So the best the Americans can do, the best the international community can do at this point is to keep the conflict from spreading beyond Israel and Gaza. I say with great regret, I say with a heavy heart, I don't think they can limit the conflict inside Israel and Gaza for the near future. What is extraordinary is that the Israelis, I mean, I'm not sure what the alternative for them to do to uh, extract some sort of revenge on Hamas for what was done on October the, the 7th, but what they are doing, there's one thing for sure, they've become a recruiting sergeant for the next generation of insurgency. That, that's what I believe, Pat. I mean, I'll start off with the basic, which is is that, you know, uh, you know, eye for an eye leaves everyone blind. So, you know, I can understand, you know, feelings by some, not all Israelis, uh, to take revenge. Um, I fully agree with the fact that Hamas is no longer, in fact, if, even if it was legitimate before October the 7th, it's not a legitimate organization. But what the Israelis have done is actually close off any opportunity of pushing out Hamas. You know, because you can kill their leaders, but they'll find others. They will find other fighters. They will find other commanders. Uh, there was an option for a few weeks which was to try to separate the civilians of Gaza from Hamas by saying, look, we don't want to kill you. We don't want to, as Joe Biden put it, expend our rage on you rather than on Hamas. We're going to get aid to you. We're going to try to get you into safe places. We're not going with an all-out effort to kill Hamas leaderships if you are the ones, even as you're being human, used as human shields by Hamas, who pay the price. That window closed. Uh, the Israeli leadership has gone into this with no idea of the end game. 
and don't take my word for it, that Benny Gantz, the member of the War Cabinet, mm-hmm. former chief of the defense staff, said weeks ago, what is our end game? What are we going to do even if we kill Hamas's leaders? He was actually proposing the possibility of taking over part of the northern Gaza Strip, and then you have Gaza civilians move to the southern Gaza Strip where they can receive aid. We are far from that, even though that's a terrible solution. We're far from even achieving this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give you this line, Pat. I grew up with this line. I grew up with the context of the Vietnam War. I grew up with the context of disastrous, disastrous conflicts where many civilians were killed, including in Iraq in 2003. It's a line from the American military, kill them all and let God sort them out. That's where we are right now in Gaza. Scott Lucas from the Clinton Institute at University College Dublin. Thank you very much for joining us. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.